0: hello 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 there we go i haven't balanced this microphone correctly how's that
1: yeah that works i think talk some more
0: (laughs) talk some more Mm, (laughs) say other things
1: say things matt
0: (laughs) jesus trying to podcast from a hotel room is a nightmare
1: (laughs) note to self do not do this again (laughs)
0: you know what would be great is if
2: we just decided that Matt wasn't on this show and so he was like in the intro but they'd never spoke
0: again <laughs> 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 wow Uh, Anyhow. Is that better? That's better. Right, okay. What did you do? Well, I I propped it up and it's upside down. Your laptop is? And I'm leaning over the edge of the bed.
1: Magic.
2: Oh, man. I'm picturing Matt with like the the microphone cord in his left hand held three feet above his head uh, (laughs) and he's like balancing on one foot. It's like, that's it. Don't move. We got it. (laughs) Are we ready? I mean, I think so. Should we dive into some Watchtower Weekly?
1: Yeah, let's go for it.
2: Okay. Pertinent to this call because we're using Zoom to record it. Uh, A serious Zoom security flaw could let websites hijack Mac cameras. Uh, This was reported by The Verge uh, just yesterday. So we're recording this on the 9th. Uh, Just yesterday, uh, Dieter Bonn reported... I just love the I love the subtitle to this one serious zoom security flaw could let websites hijack mac cameras subtitle not good
0: good. you know the the crazy thing about this is on the vulnerability website they had a link to like show proof of the of the vulnerability of the of the guy who was researching this and if you clicked it it put you in a zoom call with anybody else who would click that link and was still on the call. And so it would just instantly put you in a video chat with random strangers.
1: Oh, God. And having to have a video call is bad enough already, right? If you're, Especially if you're an introvert like me.
2: Oh, yeah. Whenever I join a call and people turn on their video, I'm like,
0: ah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you go to this website and click this link, it will put you in a random video chat with any other strangers that were investigating the Zoom floor. Oh. Should, we, should we do it? Let's do it. Let's record the podcast from that place.
1: <laughs> See who joins in. The
0: accurate tweet of the day was, did Zoom just invent or reinvent? Chat Roulette. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is pretty awesome. Really, like,
2: this is one of those things that makes me want to put a security sticker over my camera. I mean,
0: this is all so they could get around just a single click of allowing the app to take control of certain links. I, I feel like this is all this.
2: This tends to be the vector for a lot of these security issues. Is that it is a good feature that the developer put in there for a very good reason. That is then being bent to nefarious purposes. So it is from a user experience point of view, being able to click a Zoom link and instantly join a Zoom call is really nice. Like that's what you would want 90% of the time. The problem is, is that it also completely hoses you in this case, where it's just like, and you're in a call, and your video's on, and by the way, you didn't know
0: it. Yeah, so Zoom said, Zoom defends the workaround as a legitimate solution to a poor user experience, enabling our users to have seamless one-click-to-join meetings, which is our key product differentiator. No, no, no.
2: (laughs) What's wrong with that,
0: Matt? Come on. So the interesting thing about this is that the vulnerability was disclosed without the company having fixed it um and there's there's a bit of kind of communication involved with the company but essentially you know he i wouldn't say blindsided them but like he released this without them having a fix in the in the works and i think that was due to one zoom taking so long to acknowledge and and build this fix or or like, appreciate that this was a, a problem. But I, I think there's also an element from the security researcher of, of I don't know, being kind of impatient. I, I hate to, you know, bring down on a security researcher that has, like, solid research um and, and obviously found this run- vulnerability. But, like, I don't know, it kind of sucks not to wait for Zoom to fix this.
2: Unless Zoom just responded to them and said, we're not going to fix this.
0: Yeah, I, I, I even after reading all of like Zoom's... like the things that they say and their public reaction to this, it's still not clear what they're actually going to do about it.
1: This article says you can patch the camera issue yourself by ensuring the Mac app is up to date and also disabling the setting that allows Zoom to turn your camera on when joining a meeting. I'm
2: pretty sure I already had that one set up. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm already... Turn off, turn off my video when joining a meeting. Hm.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you know, headline Zoom, that sucks. Like, fix, fix your stuff, and like, and be honest about it as well. Like, I feel like we're getting out of hand with all the disclosures and and everything like that. But this was not a good way to handle it. Like, don't just say, actually, that's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
1: This is like Facebook's lawyer being like. They have no expectation of
2: privacy. There's no expectation of privacy on Facebook. Come on, people. (laughs) Come on, let's let's get real. Yeah, but I thought I had it on Zoom. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, don't worry, Matt. It's still private. It's still completely end-to-end encrypted. It's just that you can randomly join calls that you didn't realize.
0: Yeah, randomly join encrypted end-to-end calls, so it's fine. (laughs) See? It's very
2: private.
1: Someone can watch you picking your nose. That's right.
2: fine. Well, one-click meetings are their key differentiator, Matt. It sounds like they're doubling down on this is how things are supposed to be. An extra click in your day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's talk about British Airways and GDPR and a 183 million pound fine. It's so, so good.
1: Yep it's the biggest fine that's ever been handed out by the UK's information commissioner's office.
2: Yeah, cuz we need the money. Well, yeah. You got that got that Brexit coming up. You got to yeah. you got to figure out how to fund how to fund that nonsense. <laughs> Two, 228 million US dollars. That's a lot, That's a lot of money. This is reported by tripwire.com. Uh, so British Airways is facing... So they haven't actually been fined yet. They've just been put on notice that, that they are going to be fined that the intent is to fine them. And this is coming from the UK's Information Commissioner's Office. This fine is, is the result of its systems being breached by hackers last year and personal and payment card information of around 500,000 customers was stolen. Hackers actually breached British Airways' system. They planted some maliciously modified software into their payment page, which captured information and credit card and you know skimming names and billing addresses and email addresses and card payment information and sent it off to baways.com which is not british airways website and uh yeah british airways just didn't didn't realize it here's the thing like this is what gdpr is for right it is gdpr is the general data protection regulation um it is intended to find companies if they screw up in this way so <laughs> this is this is the system at work uh the end result is hopefully British Airways making a bunch of changes that that improves their process so they don't have to pay this money ever again.
0: Yeah, so I mean GDPR you can be fined up to 4% of your kind of annual worldwide turnover uh or 20 million whichever is is bigger. Right. And the fine proposed here was actually 1.5% right. of the of the global turnover in 2017. So it could have been a lot worse. Uh, as much yeah. as it is the most expensive fine ever given out, the the interesting thing is that the Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica thing, they were fined five hundred thousand, which I don't know. Kind of seems like peanuts compared to this.
2: Yeah, but didn't that happen? Didn't that happen before GDPR was in place?
1: Yeah, I think that's why this fine. Is so large because it's since GDPR regulations have come into force. So that's why they could justify the increase, I think. Right.
0: Yeah. The, the Cambridge Analytica thing was just under the Data Protection Act rather than, yeah. rather than GDPR.
1: But you're right. I mean, £500,000 is absolutely nothing to Facebook. So it's nice to see. It's always nice to see a huge fine. For British Airways because it gives them some sort of consequence not to do this again. As
0: long as my flights don't become more expensive.
2: (laughs) Oh man, I was gonna. When I read this, I was like,
0: oh, get ready for your flights to be more expensive. (laughs) I mean, it was twenty-two lines of code that were added to the to the BA website, and it and it basically meant that yeah, three hundred eighty thousand victims. So it was between uh, the twenty-first of August and the fifth of September. So actually, you know, it didn't run for that long. No. But yeah, three 3- three hundred eighty thousand people's credit card details and you know details of flights and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And yeah, it was just a bit of JavaScript, and and it sent things the wrong way. Yeah, that's rough. So uh, who's our who's our interview this week? So we spoke to Daniel Davis from DuckDuckGo this week. He's their communications manager, and uh, here it is. <laughs> So Hello, Daniel. Uh, I I guess let's start from the beginning. Can you kind of introduce yourself and tell me a little bit more about DuckDuckGo for those of our listeners who might not know about it? Yes, certainly. Uh, I'm
3: the communications manager at DuckDuckGo. I originally started just as a volunteer. We have uh, several open source components and I just uh, contributed as a developer several years ago and managed to join the company through that. At that stage, we were just a search, a private search company. But now we're sort of privacy beyond search. So we don't call ourselves a search company. We call ourselves a privacy company. Search has been going for about it's eleven years now. It started in two thousand and eight, but just over a year ago, we extended beyond that, and now offer what we call DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials. It's a browser extension and a mobile app that have the same sort of underlying technology which is to protect people not just when they're searching, but when they visit basically any other website uh, on the web. What we're trying to do is make that aimed at people who just want privacy to be easy. And so what we like to say is we want online privacy to be as easy as
0: closing the blinds. (laughs) That's that's great. There's very similar kind of a movement in a direction with, with several companies. And I think the extension is a great way to kind of learn what websites are sending what pieces of information? And yeah, the, the extension makes it really easy to kind of understand that. It's not like, oh, this is sending it to akbmi.fb.com and you've got to kind of work out that it's sending some bits to Facebook. The scoring makes it really easy. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, you said easy. Yeah, that's
3: what we try to do. Make it easy, make it seamless. And so our aim has been if you just want to install it and forget about it, then you can. If you want to go a step further and have a look at um, which networks have been tracking you, I don't want to say websites because it's not a, a single website that tracks you normally. It's a network of companies on websites and different ad technology. We try and make it easy to see that. And sometimes it's quite shocking. You can see on an individual website how many trackers there have been, and then you can also see overall the percentage of, of trackers that have been blocked. I should point out here, actually, we don't block what we call first-party cookies. Some people think cookies are automatically a bad thing, especially with Europe, you get so many pop-ups nowadays saying, you know, oh, we're going to put cookies on your machine, which can make people nervous, uh, you know, this, the cookies themselves are a bad thing. They're not. They're very helpful when used correctly, but if they're misused, that's what we want to try and block. Cookies themselves can be very helpful in that they save a bit of information on your computer that can be used so that, for example, you don't have to log in again, or if you change a setting, like you change the background color on a website, uh, it'll remember that for the next time that you go and visit the website. If you had to log in each time you visited a social media site, it would drive you crazy. Thanks to cookies, it remembers who you are, you don't have to re-log in again. So that's when they're very, very useful. An offline analogy, I think, would be when you go to your regular cafe, the waiter remembers your order. So when you go in, they say, oh, the usual, you know, cup of tea, milk, no sugar. If you're making that, by the way, you know, that's that's my preference. (laughs) So they they remember what you like, which is super convenient. But then if you went into a local department store uh, and they said, oh, we know that you like tea, milk, no sugar. Maybe you're interested in some of our new teacup range or these blended teas that we've just brought in. Which is kind of creepy. And then if they also knew the type of car that you drive or the, or the location where you live, they might bump up the prices because they think you, you're, you're well off or whatever. That's when it starts to cross the line. So going back to the online world, cookies that are put on websites from other websites, for example, let's say I go to a blog, there could be a Facebook like button and that's got a cookie by Facebook in there. So Facebook then knows that I've been to that blog it can then tie that information with all the other blogs and websites that I visit, maybe even the things I bought with my credit card in a store. Uh, and then it builds up a profile of me and targets me with ads, uh, sometimes very creepily. That's what we're trying to
0: block. Yeah, And I think what, what a lot of people don't realize is this is how Facebook operates. You know, sign in with Facebook button it is there for a reason. It is to build this profile of you as well. The reach of these cross-tracking cookies, you know, it's not just Facebook, but the reach of these cross-site cookies is crazy, really.
3: Yes, and what pretty much all users find after they've been using the extension or the mobile app for a little while is that Google, followed by Facebook, are the biggest tracking networks by far. And this also is reflected in a study that Princeton University did a couple of years ago. They looked at the top one million websites, and they found that Google had trackers on 75% of those top million websites. The next biggest was uh, Facebook with trackers on 25% of the top million websites. And yeah, that that's not provide... Well, it may be code that's providing something useful, like a, a like button or sign in. But in addition... They're recording, you know, all the sites that you go to. Uh, it might just be an ad, and as soon, without even clicking on the ad, just having an ad in a particular page means Google knows that you viewed that page. And yes, it stores that
0: to build up the big profile about you. I think privacy is really a very hot topic at the moment. If I were to, uh, well, I do actually use DuckDuckGo. If I was to switch to DuckDuckGo, what's the kind of uh, browsing experience, like what's the key benefits when you compare it to something like a huge tracking network like Google? The mobile app is
3: effectively a browser. Uh, It's just more private. It's a private browser. So it blocks these third body trackers in the background. It also enables you to suddenly delete all the data and the tabs within the browser with with one touch. Apart from that, you still get the same experience as you do with other browsers, you know, browsing the, the mobile web uh, websites. When we first released it, we listened out for reports of websites that didn't work uh, unexpectedly. Um, there were a couple, which we then fixed very quickly. And now we find that yeah, you install the mobile app, you use it as a browser, and there's no difference from other browsers. The difference is that you're better protected and you're not seeing these creepy ads following you around. If we go over to DuckDuckGo Search, the similar kind of thing. The whole concept that we have is that we don't want privacy to be a, a trade-off. You don't shouldn't have to give up something to get better privacy. So we've tried very hard to make our search engine obviously private, but also just as good as other um, search engines out there. So if those other search engines suddenly change their business model and became private search engines, it's not necessarily a bad thing for us because we feel we can compete on other features anyway. It would also give users uh, more choice, which is good. However, I, yeah, I can't see other other companies changing their
0: business model anytime soon. <laughs> so that's, that's actually an interesting point. Both, both DuckDuckGo and Google make money from advertising, right? But... The core difference is: if I search for a bread maker on Google, everything about my being online suddenly comes about bread. And if I search for a bread maker on, on DuckDuckGo, I get served adverts for a bread maker, and then as soon as I'm off that page, I, I never see bread makers again. Would you would you say that that's kind of an accurate? description yes you can write our next copy if you like our next
3: uh, blog post <laughs> <laughs> exactly right yes it's called uh, contextual advertising as opposed to behavioral advertising and so the yeah the, the way it works is exactly as you describe if you search for something there may be it, it may be the case that we can't find an ad that's relevant to that search term in which case we just won't show you an advert but if there is something uh, like bread maker car iphone and we have a relevant advert to show you for that topic, then we will show it to you. It's a one-time thing based on that keyword. We don't know anything else about you. uh, So consequently, uh, we can't show you anything based on your profile. We We don't keep it. And as soon as you go on to search something else, we forget immediately what you just searched for. So yeah, you see only things based on your search at that particular moment in time. The alternative is behavioural advertising, where you see an advert based on things that you've either searched for or based on websites that you've looked at. What some people don't realise, and a surprising number of people don't realise, is that, um, well, for example, Facebook owns uh, Instagram and WhatsApp, Uh, Google uh, owns YouTube and Waze. So your activity on those other services, for example, uh, videos you watch on YouTube, could be tied into Google's uh, profile of you, and then you see Google ads based on things that you've seen on YouTube. We did, earlier in the year, studies where we found that actually the sample of adults in the U.S. that we surveyed, 45% of them didn't know that Google owns YouTube, and 56% of them didn't know that Waze, the the navigation uh, service, is owned by by Google. There's there's a lack of awareness there, I think. People are, as, as you said, definitely getting more aware of privacy, definitely getting more concerned, Wanted to do something about it. Um, and yet there's still a lack of awareness that in the background, so many companies and networks are connected and building up huge, huge uh, stores of data about us.
1: Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. <laughs> do you think, with that in mind, can you escape Google or is using another search engine enough?
3: Just a search engine on its own, I, I would say no. I mean, obviously I would say the first step is to try a private search engine. And I, I know a very good one that begins with a D and ends in up, go, go. <laughs> um, in addition, we do have a uh, blog post, which is, is has been very popular, actually, uh, listing alternatives to various Google products and services. And so we try to demonstrate that, yes, it is po- possible to move away from Google. For example, the browser. You can change your browser very easily. To, and, and there are several free alternatives to Google
0: Chrome. Nice. So you, you mentioned before that you've carried out kind of research on privacy and and continue to do so. And I I remember reading something about the the do not track browser setting. And the survey found out that actually a quarter of people had this setting turned on. I know I do. But most were actually unaware that the vast majority of sites simply choose to ignore this setting. What do you think people can do about this? Or or how are you acting on on your research around this?
3: Yeah, this is... uh... It's, it's a mixed blessing. Uh, we have this setting in browsers, although there is talk that a couple of browsers might take it away. Uh, it's called Do Not Track. You go into your uh, settings or the preferences and then the privacy section, and there's very likely to be a Do Not Track setting. Do you want websites to not track you? On the face of it, it looks like a great idea, and you check it, and you think, yes, they're not tracking me. It's misleading, unfortunately, and there is nothing to force websites to respect that, and consequently... Uh, most don't most just ignore it Um, some have changed their policy for example twitter used to respect it and not track you if you had that setting enabled but they changed uh, a year or two ago and now they just ignore the setting like many other websites so the setting is there we were surprised that yet almost a quarter of the people that we surveyed adults in the u.s did have it set and In some cases, it's not that surprising because it's so easy. You just go in, set it once, and then forget about it. But when you think about mainstream audience, the uh, the mainstream audience, sometimes they have trouble knowing where their preferences are. Certainly, a lot of the feedback and the questions that I get from mainstream users, you really have to explain things at a very easily understandable level. So for them to go in and actively change this setting... Indicates that a lot of people are really concerned about privacy so much that they've actually gone and done something about it, and it's such a shame that that setting is then ignored by by most websites. So you asked what we tried to do about it after seeing the results of this research. We actually drafted legislation, uh, which we called the Do Not Track Act of 2019, with the hope that lawmakers would pick it up so that we can force. Websites to respect that setting. A few weeks after we published that, Senator Josh Hawley in the U.S. Uh, from Missouri, he actually proposed legislation—not exactly the same, but it's pretty similar. He, he wants companies to respect the Do Not Track setting. So we really, uh, you know, we supported that. We'd really like to see something like this happen. We we had a couple of comments when we first published our draft legislation that like, way. Well, you're a company, you know, you can't do legislation, but. What a lot of people don't realise is that anyone can draft legislation. It won't become law. You just you know, put it out there, propose it, and you hope that the people who do make the law will agree with it. They might change it a bit. They might take it forward. And hopefully um, it becomes law. So we would like to see something like that happen. We've, we've tried. And now we just wait and see. Yeah, it's definitely a, a move in the right direction. Yeah, it would be a great move from a consumer point of view. Just needs to get through and it needs to get through without lobbying from big ad networks to try and create loopholes or exceptions (laughs) for them.
1: So I was doing a bit of reading on your blog and I read something that I really liked, which was ethical design is simply design. How do we distill this message into new or even well-established businesses in order to build an online culture that is privacy-focused from its very core? Yeah,
3: that's a very good question. It it starts at the top, really. And so our CEO, Gabriel Weinberg, who who founded the company, every so often will sort of readdress what the vision of the company is. Currently, it's to raise the standard of trust online. And so everybody has a say in defining this vision. And then it's very, very clear. I mean, if you ask um, any of the staff, uh, what's the vision? uh, They'll say it's to raise the standard of trust online. What that does, not only is it clear for everybody, but it also guides decisions. So although we might not refer to it every day, in the back of our minds, it's there. When we're making decisions, when we're coming across design or something, that's sort of guiding uh, the way we create something the way we decide something the way we use the technology because technology know, itself is obviously very powerful it can be used for good it can be used for not so good so having a strong vision helps guide the good decisions if you like going back to just um ethical design is is simply design if we look at some of the practices that we find on the internet and and some of the things that our um, tracker blocking extension app pick up is the prolifer- proliferation of code Within websites, that is either tracking our behaviour or it's trying to influence our behaviour. Um, so, so, one of the, the reasons why these networks will build up big profiles of you because the more they know about you, the more they can influence you to do things that they want. If we look at this code that's trying to influence you like through dark patterns, for example, and by dark pattern I mean, you get a dialog box saying, "Would you like this, you know, extra insurance, you know, on your on your product that you've just bought?" Yes or no would be the obvious choice for the buttons. Uh, and that's what I call just you know simple design. But more and more we see people saying, would you like this extra in- add-on insurance? Yes, I would. And I do not want my product to be protected for the next five years or something is the alternative answer instead of just no, <laughs> which is uh, very frustrating, but they've gone out of their way to make it more difficult for the user. Uh, so that I think is showing that you actually have to try hard to make things unethical if it was just simple design, then by its nature, it should be uh, ethical. That was a long answer to your
0: question. <laughs> no, it's very good. Yeah, it was, and it really does ring true because you know one of the things that we try and do is is be really proud of the things that we don't do, <laughs> as 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 that seems. Like the things like you know not adding trackers uh, in, into the applications or analytics into any of our applications. You know, we, we rely on customer feedback so much via Twitter and, and via customer support emails and and just in general talking to companies because, you know, we don't want to know what websites you use. You know, we only want to know when there's a problem. And, and luckily, our customers always let us know when there's a problem. <laughs> you know, I can't log into this. The, the form's not working and, and that type of thing. Um, and... Yeah, um, unfortunately, that's not the the standard in the industry either.
3: It's not, yes. Although I have to say, with the increased awareness of, of privacy, I think there's there's both pressure on existing companies to change. There's also uh, much more opportunity for companies providing a private alternative. So consumer pressure, I think, is, is slowly starting to have an effect. At the other end, we'd also like to see stronger legislation. Uh, it's not just enough for, for the consumers to apply pressure. There needs to be legislation for things that consumers can't affect. For example, we have third-party data agencies who will collect all the data from apps or something. So you interact with app, you don't realise there's this company you've never heard of in the background that's buying the data of your your location, for example, collected every few seconds from your phone. Uh, consumers on their own cannot go and influence that because they don't even know it's happening. They don't know the names of these companies. So yes, at the other end, we'd like to see legislation that... Protects our our data, um, stops companies from collecting it unnecessarily and then selling
0: it on, sharing it, uh, abusing it. I do like that. If we keep the the design ethical and just simply try and do the one thing that we're trying to do, rather than you know build this network of of tracking and behavioural stuff, it's um it's a lot easier.
3: Yes, um, and people might think, when people even listening to this, they might think you know well yeah so what uh, uh, some random company knows where I am you know what what's the big deal, which is a fair question, but What we've seen is that some of these apps, they do it very, very often. I I think there was a weather app, which it turned out it was um, collecting your location every five seconds. You don't need that for the weather. Obviously, they were doing it because they were then selling it to a a third party. Okay, the, the location is one thing, but you can then tie it in with other data points, and then it becomes very, very powerful. Even location on its own can tell you a lot. Where they are from the hours of say 11 p.m. to to 6 a.m. is very likely to be their home, so there you go, you you know where they live. If you get two different uh, mobile phone data and they both are in the same location between the hours of 11 and 6 o'clock, then very likely to be living together. If one of them then goes to, let's say, a rehabilitation clinic uh, on a regular basis, then you can work out something more about their either their medical history or, or their background or something. And uh, Then you can really uh, start to build up a detailed picture without necessarily knowing their name. You know everything about this person just through these data points that you're picking up um, and and collecting together so does it really matter uh, yes it does the data that is being picked up can be used to influence us it can be used to change uh, prices on the things that we buy uh, it can be used in political ways to influence elections as may or may not have happened in the past um in, in addition we see more, and more people just you know get fed up with the creepiness of it and say look it's, it's none of your business, basically. It's The privacy is my right. It's a
0: human right. Yeah, yeah. So to finalize, can you give us kind of one security or tech tip that you practice and that you live by?
3: Yes. Uh, I mean, we, we, have a lot, we have a blog called spreadprivacy.com. So I would recommend people go there. We have a step-by-step guides on there for the, the settings that you should follow to protect your privacy. So that's what I'd recommend for everybody. In terms of What people could do right now before this podcast ends, pretty much everybody listening to this uh, has got um, a sort of detection device on them that is following them around and sending out data about where they are at any given time. And that's the mobile phone. It's so much more uh, practical than a a computer, but also so much more full of data and very, very personal data. So I think this is where uh, people can really focus their attention and, and make a lot of good changes. A couple of things to do. One is go to the privacy settings and if you've never looked through them, just have a browse through there. It's very easy. Settings, privacy, all phones have it now. And then you can see different things on there. For example, there may be an option to limit the tracking that the phone does. There may be the option to reset identifier so phones have a very often have a unique identifier and if somebody buys something and then a month later somebody looks at a website and it's the same phone identifier they know it's the same person if you have the option to reset that effectively you become a new person in the eyes of the tracking code on the phone it doesn't change the way you use the phone it works as normal it just protects your privacy a little bit more one thing that is extremely important and I think a lot of people just maybe forget to do is just go through the apps that you have on your phone Many of them are free. Many of them make their money by selling the data about you to these uh, third parties. And if you have an app on there and you haven't used it for several months, then maybe it's just in the background collecting your data. Uh, It's a good idea to get rid of apps that you haven't used in a while. And if you decide you need it again, just reinstall it. But I would do every now and then I would definitely do an audit of the apps you have on your phone. And... Finally, there are apps that will use your uh, location or your contact, sometimes for very good reason, sometimes for unnecessary reasons. So it's good to go in again into the settings and look at uh, the sharing that is done by different apps. So the apps that have access to your camera, the apps that have access to your location, and you might decide that that weather app does not need access to my camera. Um, You might decide that a particular app doesn't need uh, access to your location. So you can usually revoke those uh, permissions. And again, if you revoke too much, it's not a problem because if it needs that, uh, it's going to pop up with a little message saying, hey, we'd like to access your your location now and then you can accept if you want. I would sort of do those three things. Go into your uh, privacy settings just in general, get comfortable with them, do an audit of the apps on your phone and get rid of anything that you don't uh, need or don't use. And then look at what apps have access to and, and stop the sharing that you feel is unnecessary.
0: Oh, well, That is some great advice. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely be going through the apps because yeah, you're, you're right. I, I definitely have apps that are on my phone that I don't use anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. It's been
3: a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. I, I enjoy um, listening to your podcast and, Yeah, some of the people you have who you interviewed, really, really interesting things to say. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to be part of that. Yeah, you're
0: definitely amongst them. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thanks, Daniel. Well, that was a great interview by Daniel. And uh, Anna, what's the phrase?
1: Well, this week we've got a Korean phrase, and it's simply, it's a carrot.
2: I think this is how you announce that the child you're going to have is a boy.
0: (laughs) Oh
1: God! <laughs> uh, I wanted to make this one quite difficult for you guys because I feel like some of the others we've had in past weeks have been quite easy to crack.
2: So for sure, yeah. I want to say like it's like it's it's almost like an it's it's a winner or like
0: it's like it's really it's really good. I honestly have no idea. Is it like a surprise in life when when life hands you a surprise? It's a carrot.
1: It's a carrot. I mean, it's a nice. You just thought, weren't but... expecting
0: it. The unexpected <laughs> carrot. <laughs> Oh, my God, it's a carrot. This is a whole thing now, right? When when someone, like, when you need to surprise someone, you just hide a carrot somewhere. And then yeah. when they find it, they text you and be like, dude, did you leave a carrot in my in my house? And then you're just like, it's a carrot. Is that it? Um, is it like a weird game?
1: It is a wor- Yeah, it is a little word game. Basically, it means, of course, in Korean. So because of the way it's written in the language, the word looks very similar to of course. So whenever you want to say of course to someone, people would say it's a carrot.
2: Wow, that does not translate super well.
1: No, but it's basically something that you... Would use with your friends. So me, Matt and Rue could all say, it's a carrot together when we were talking. But if you were on a business call with someone (laughs) and you went, it's a carrot, uh, they would give you a very strange look.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's fantastic. It's a carrot. It's a carrot. Oh my gosh. All right, well it's a carrot hey hey
2: hey guys it's it's a carrot (laughs) it's gotta be more emphatic like hey it's a carrot it's a
1: carrot i
0: don't know how many times we can i don't know how many times we can say this (laughs) (laughs) it's a carrot
1: it's a carrot
0: all right i think that's all we've got time for (laughs) love you (laughs) room
2: love you love you matt love you anna love you Bye. bye
1: bye
2: i could really go for a carrot